If you turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians, we'll be reading chapter 4. That word grace features so prominently in the letter to the Ephesians. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It comes before our reading today. A powerful declaration of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God shall do in Jesus Christ, in the life of of each and every believer and every community of believers that gather in his name. And for the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, the apostle opens up our understanding and our imagination of just what God has done. So much that by the end of chapter 3, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. A powerful prayer, a prayer I'm grateful he prayed, a prayer I hope that we can continue to pray for one another. But then at the beginning of chapter 4, moving from the work of God in Christ, the apostle now calls on those who are listening with ears to hear, that there is a response that is called out of us. Verse 1 says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And what comes after in the letter, then, is an explication, an unpacking, an explanation, and an exhortation, a call for us to do just that, to live lives worthy of that calling. And one of the places where that is known, it's cultivated, and it is called out is in the community of believers called the church, Yates Baptist Church, and the many many other communities that carry that same label, the church. And so we read today one of the powerful metaphors that's used to describe what the church is, what kind of organization it represents of human and divine relationship. And we discover that in the eyes of of the apostle in these words of scripture we're not talking about an organization called the church at all instead it's more of an organism called the church chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 read this way so christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God bless the reading and the hearing of God's word today. Well, I want us to begin today talking about something that probably has come to you by way of social media or ESPN or the like, and that is the circumstance that faced the life and the body of Damar Hamlin. Uh, Hamlin, as many of you know, was a safety for the Buffalo Bills, and he suffered a cardiac arrest on the field after being hit about nine minutes into the game. It wasn't the first hit, certainly wasn't the first hit of his career, but it was hard to watch, and it's harder to talk about because whenever we talk about an experience like that, it surfaces all the traumas and all the experiences that we ourselves have also had around health and those sudden changes that have irreversible impacts on the way we look at ourselves, our security, and our safety. It's complicated maybe even more when we talk about Hamlin because as a young man, he's not even 25 years old, as an elite athlete with an incredibly strong body, highly conditioned to see that he was vulnerable like that, where does that leave the rest of us? Well, the prevailing theory about Hamlin's condition is not that he brought to the game some sort of genetic malformation or some sort of pre-existing condition. As it turns out, most sports medicine people, without having all the information, are speculating that his heart attack was caused uh, by commotio cordis, which I've learned something about, something of a perfect storm of experiences in the body where in about a 20 millisecond space in the electrical rhythms within someone's heart, there in the T wave as the, the cardiac cells of your ventricles are repolarizing, ready to take on the next beat, there's a hit of sufficient direct force right on the heart that can knock the whole system out of rhythm. And it leads to a heart attack. When it's seen, it's more commonly seen in baseball. And it was very publicly viewed in 1998 in the NHL. Both of those have a, a projectile that managed to hit someone's heart at just the right time with just the right force to bring about this catastrophic outcome. Mercifully, thankfully, Hamlin's condition continues to improve. But as I've prayed for him and as I've thought about it, I actually thought about something Bill Yant told me some years ago as a, as a physician and as a teacher of medicine. Uh, Bill said it, 
the longer that he was in practice, the more he realized that being alive is a miracle. When you start to realize the, the uh, sophistication and the interdependence of all of our systems right down to the cellular level, we shouldn't always ask why things go wrong when they do. Instead, we should often ask why things go right so much of the time. The body is simultaneously the most fragile and the most durable of experiences that we have in life. And the bodies that we have have much to teach us about both our vulnerability and our fragility and also our durability. And so what is it when we talk about the church then as the body of Christ that moves that body from fragility to durability? What is it about the body of Christ that moves it from that place of vulnerability to effectiveness? Because that is what we are reflecting on today. The body of Christ. This picture of the church for us to reflect on and to grow into. And specifically, how is that body built up? The evaluative criteria that we're given today in Scripture might surprise you. Because as many questions as press us as those who are viewing our church at any one point in time about how are we doing, the overriding criterion we read about today in how is the body of Christ doing orbits around the question of its maturity. Is the body maturing? This is good news for those of you with maturing bodies. And to all of us, are we growing spiritually by God's grace and by God's Holy Spirit? Are we moving toward and looking and thinking about how we can act and reflect the person and the work of Jesus Christ more and more to one another and out into the world? Are we maturing? When we ask, how are we doing as a church, we must ask, are we maturing in faith? And what does that look like? How does God lead us on that process of maturity? Well, the first step comes directly from God. God gives gifts. That's where our reading started today. God gives gifts to individuals of the body. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And usually when we get a gift or a present, we tend to want to hang on to it for ourselves. But when God gives gifts, it is with the intention of sharing. God gives particular people particular gifts for the church. And so that means that the spiritual gifts of the person next to you are not God's gifts just for that person, but, is in, but are instead gifts that are to be shared. They are God's gifts to us. And so this particular list of leadership gifts that we read today will come back into play. But it is not the comprehensive list, list of spiritual gifts that God offers, not by a stretch. If you read in 1 Corinthians 12, you'll read in even 
broader list of the spiritual gifts that people who are part of the church might receive by the Holy Spirit. This one focuses on leadership because it is the leadership of the church that will direct the church to capitalize, to name, and to make use of the gifts that are found in the community. But it's quite a thought. Take a step back and simply think about how God uses individual people, how God uses the gifts God bestows upon individuals in the body to build up the whole church. And you may shy away from that idea that you are an indispensable part of the upbuilding of the church. But this is perfectly in keeping with the entire story and history of what God has done in Jesus Christ. At Christmas, we remember that the Messiah was given to a man and a woman, Joseph and Mary. And in all the vulnerability of that baby, they were charged with raising and keeping that child safe. Jesus entrusted his mission to a cohort of disciples who by all accounts in the scriptures, never seem to have their heads on completely straight and sometimes made decisions that were so boneheaded, just dumber than a bag of hammers, as they say. And yet these are the people to whom Jesus has entrusted the substance of his work. Do not shy away from this notion of what God has given you freely as a gift. God gives you gifts. God gives you abilities. God might give you a knack for teaching or a capacity for mercy or for hospitality or for service or for shepherding or for administrative administration. Any, any, any of a number of gifts. And there was one pastor who, preaching on the sermon, simply said, every Sunday should be a little like Christmas morning when we arrive and we realize the gifts that God has left us in each other. Do you remember the excitement of maybe coming down the stairs or down the hall or witnessing in the eyes of children somewhere in your household? Can church be that way when our vision is calibrated to see one another with that same enthusiasm as a gifted soul? And so then the responsibility for us becomes to notice, to give thanks, to call out, and to love all of these gifts into service, into action. Don't hold back when your gifts are called out of you. And don't hold back on the ways that you continue to call forth those who may be especially gifted for a time such as this. That's the first step in spiritual maturity is recognizing that God gives gifts to individuals in the church, each and every member of it. And then the next step in that process is that the church, as an act of leadership, sees spiritually maturing members of the body by calling those gifts into service that God has given all of these leaders says the apostle because it is to equip Jesus people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up 
And we hear that word equip, and it's not a great word because it doesn't capture the full freight of what it is that's being communicated here. It's more than finding the right tool for the right need. It is instead talking about fitness and complete furnishing. The old-fashioned word is perfecting. Not perfect without blemish and that sort of thing, but more like when we say a perfect tomato. You know, one that's just ripe and it's just a you can just with the tiniest of touches just pull it off the vine. It's ready to go. It's mature. It's filled out. It's complete. That is what this calling out of gifts is all about. It's about equipping by calling forth the mature expression of our gifts. And so it's more than just getting the right tool for the job. Sometimes that's how we have sort of caricatured the process of leadership development in the church. There's a vacancy on this committee, right? So we got to find a warm body to sit in the seat on this committee in order to have a quorum. And it's so much more than that. Whether we're talking about the nominating committee's work, whether we're talking about a search committee, whether we're talking about those who were called into service today as deacons, it is about recognizing the unique giftedness of this person and the mature expression of that gift that will make us all stronger and more mature. It will be transformational as we continue to lean into that vision to be a growing community alive with Christ, energized to share God's transforming love. That is our goal as a church, to grow believers, to grow this community of believers so that we all might mature in a way that we are going out and sharing the gospel. It's not a specialization. It is our mission. The next step in that process is just that, that all members of the church begin to identify with the work of ministry, that we equip God's people in order that they might do the work of ministry. All of us here are in the work of ministry, though in our age of specialization, sometimes we like to think some people are better suited or better able to do it than others. That's why sometimes we hire professional ministers, right? Sometimes that's important in an organization. But just as importantly, I have to remind you that I'm called to use my gifts in this church no more and no less than any of you are called to exercise your gifts in this church. I'm not downplaying my role as a pastor, but I want you to see the significance you have in the church and its ministry. As you mature and as you lead others toward a mature expression of their spiritual gifts, we are tracking with the vision of God that we as a body might be mature. And so it calls for us to have that broad range of vision that looks to the very youngest among us. Who will forget what it was like last week to walk around and see baby Aiden and to begin imagining with me as he smiled while he slept. Very seldom do I see children who can do that. He's got some encouragement to share already. Who could forget 
what it was like to see him and to imagine all God was doing and to make those little commitments in ourselves to say, how can I help him along? How can I help his mother along? How can I come to know his father and do the same? All the way to those who may not be able to darken the door of this church anymore and continue to need the support and the connection of this church and even more have gifts to offer if we access them. All the way across the spectrum of life, we can be attuned to this sort of work. And a church that develops the capacity to do just that is a church that matures. I bumped into a story as I was preparing for this week And in many ways, it seemed to capture the fullness of what it is that I'm saying. It it paints a picture. And so it takes place about 15 years ago, actually, in El Salvador. There was a doctor from the Bronx at Children's Hospital uh, there in the Bronx who was the chief of cardiothoracic surgery for children. And he went to El Salvador to perform some particularly uh, difficult, sophisticated procedures Uh, for children who wouldn't have access to that kind of care otherwise. And there was a a young man named Francisco Fernandez who's eight years old with heart problems. And as Dr. Weinstein began the surgery, it begins, uh, he tells the story this way. Uh, The surgery started just before noon, and 12 hours later, the procedure is still ongoing. And the surgery was going well, he said. Everything was working great, but he was bleeding a lot. They didn't have a lot of the medicines that we would use to stop the bleeding. After a while, they said they couldn't give him any blood because they were running out, and he had a rare type. His blood type was B negative, as it turns out, which the Red Cross says occurs in only about 2% of the population. As it turned out, the only other person in the room with that blood type, B negative, was the surgeon, Dr. Weinstein. And so knowing what he had to do, he stepped back from the operating table. His colleagues stepped in to continue the very precise work that was going on. And Dr. Weinstein set down his scalpel, took off his gloves, washed his hands, washed his forearm. uh, And there in the corner of that operating room, he gave his own blood. And after he had given the unit of blood, Dr. Weinstein drank some bottled water and ate a Pop-Tart. And about 20 minutes after stepping away from the table, he rejoined his colleagues. And after watching his own blood begin to circulate to the small boy's veins, Dr. Weinstein completed the operation that saved Francisco's heart and saved his life. I look at that story and hear it for all it's worth, and I hear how the body works together. The team that was able to step in when Dr. Weinstein had to step away. The person who thought to have a Pop-Tart. And everything in between. Of course, there's someone in the forefront in Dr. Weinstein who modeled an incredible and gracious, sacrificial approach to fulfilling the mission that was in front of them. Above all, above all, Everyone knew 
what the mission was. It wasn't about being someone who was fabled and heroic in the storytelling. It wasn't about getting a lot of credit. It was about bringing life to a little boy. And focused on the mission, everyone had something they could offer to sustain in that moment. And there was one person there in the forefront who will probably be remembered more than the others because his role was so public. We need models like that. We need those examples that call us to extra measures of exertion and sacrifice. Each one of us in gathering and remembering Jesus, in calling his name, in learning his story and growing closer to him, have that model each and every day of our lives. And then by God's grace, we're given in the congregation examples worth following that call us to that greater sort of maturity. Mature souls, whom we call deacons, who distinguish their lives by consistently leaning into the call of Christ upon them. And so we call Mike, we call Brian, we call Todd, come to know them in so many ways. Mike was the chair of the search committee that called me. Don't hold that against him. It did not count against him when they were evaluating his service as a deacon. But Mike has distinguished himself in this congregation with his relentless commitment, not only to the congregation, but to this congregation's well-being and creative imagination of the future. He's never met a problem he was afraid to meet and address, and has so competently and confidently led us through circumstances that could become so mangled and tangled. Uh, it's no secret why I will call him from time to time simply to have coffee and unpack what it is I'm seeing with gifts of administration and encouragement. I'm so glad that the church has noticed and called out for just such a time as this. Brian is uh, one of those really interesting figures in my own experience here because Brian is a virtually kind of ex outwardly unflappable. And it talks to me about this incredibly deep taproot that exists in his life, deep, deep down in the soil that God's planted him in. And he doesn't move because he has these deep and well-formed intellectually and spiritually rigorous convictions that he's never been afraid to express when asked. And exudes a lot of patience when a lot of people around him are chattering, usually with a smile and laughter. His quick wit, his constancy and consistency are gifts for us for such a time as this, there's Todd, who with his reflective spirit, plumbing the depths and the width and the breadth of what God is doing and what God might do, and patiently gathering all of this together and prayerfully assimilating it into his own life, speaks words 
that are always in my ears and hearts live for just such a time as this. As they live their lives out loud in front of us, as they've demonstrated their faith, as they have raised their families in public and all the rest, we have seen over and over again the ways their mature faith is finding expression, not only in what they do, but in the lives of those around them. I commend them to you as you have commended them to one another. Not to stand in for any of you, but instead to be that vivid public example that is worth following. Because what I see is the truth of the gospel in them, as I see in so many of you. That to experience the gospel and respond to the good news of Jesus is not to make a one-time decision of repentance and placing your faith in Christ, but it is a daily commitment to live into the freedom that we have when we repent and when we believe to live like Christ. Now, our maturing ends when we can say with a clear conscience, I'm 100% like Christ. Until then, we need each other. We need to serve and support one another and encourage one another to ever greater maturity. So I invite those teaching candidates forward now as we install them together. Stand here so everyone can see you. The Lord Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I ask you, who are in the congregation today, I ask you, who are viewing online, right where you are, do you affirm the gifts of these from our community to lead and serve as deacons of this church? Do you affirm the leadership of the Holy Spirit in discerning their gifts? Do you wholeheartedly welcome their leadership at this time? If so, please say, we do. And Mike and Brian... And Todd, do you believe that you are called by God through this congregation to the servant office of deacon? If so, please say, we do. Having been chosen, will you devote yourself to prayer and studying God's word and ministering in the name of Christ? Will you practice biblical stewardship of your time, your energy, your money to the church, and model authentic Christian leadership among the people of this church? If so, please say, we will. Will you commit to live out the duties of this calling of deacon faithfully? And there are duties. Will you be present at the deacons' meetings? Will you lead in the church's worship when you're called upon? Will you be steadfast in your engagement of Bible study, of worship, and fully participate in one of those special deacon ministry teams, outreach, 
or care, will you endeavor to grow daily in your relationship with Jesus Christ? If so, say we do. Mike and Brian and Todd, as called out and as chosen servants, will you have a special sensitivity to human need? Will you serve the poor? Will you listen to those who are lonely? Will you pray for and will you witness to those who are lost or who have left the fold of God? Will you comfort those who are grieving? If so, please say we will. And now in the name of our Lord Jesus, who came not to be served but to serve, we set aside these servants of his and of this household of faith. In the name and the power of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the Holy Spirit and to the glory of God, we celebrate the gifts God has given us in them. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these servants who have said yes when asked to serve. Their willing spirit to give of themselves is what our church needs and you have blessed. Father, we are thankful for your providential care in the past and pray for your guidance in the future as we strive to fulfill our contribution to your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. How beautiful it is to see God working through the gifts of our leadership and through all of us and through these chosen new deacons. How beautiful it is to see them stepping into the role of speaking love, enacting that deep, deep love that Christ has for each one of us and using all of their gifts to bring that about. For this song of response, um, hear the words of how beautiful. took all my 
Body.